Hi, everyone. This is Terry Anderson with episode 26 of Digging Through Dominoes. Actually, this is a preface to the video that I've already filmed. I thought about this. This was a real, real struggle for me. I spoke with my doctors. I spoke with Jeff and my two kids. Everyone said pretty much the same thing. That I, oh, see, I'm, I'm still struggling. Because it's a personal, I don't mind telling you anything about me. But this involves a member of my family that has decided to attack me in a very cruel manner. And the reason, well, what my doctor, my, my husband, my kids have said is that this person, actually the first words out of three mouths were, well, maybe she'll be convicted. And that's really not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because there are a lot of us, there are so many of us out there that are in this generational, vicious curse, for lack of a better word, and we don't know how to stop it. I think I was blown away because this person just vented on me. And I hadn't spoken to him probably in about 10 years. And just unleashed all this vitriol. And then went later and erased every message. But refused to answer any of my questions. Which is a form of emotional abuse. And I explained that more in the video but I just wanted to make sure everyone's on the same page here. This is in no way a personal anything, but rather it came at the perfect timing in this book, The Emotionally Absent Mother by Jasmine Lee Corey. And I was listening to it and it really hit home because what happened ticked off every box she was talking about concerning intentional, malicious, familial abuse. Not neglect. We're talking abuse. And I'm okay with it. I didn't, I'm okay with it and I'm not okay with it. This is someone I would love to have in my life. She's 80 years old. She's not got that much longer to go. Statistically, neither is my other aunt. And I love them both dearly, which is one reason that this threw me for a loop. And she sort of snuck in with that. You'll be able to see because what I'm going to do is on the video portion of this on the Digging Through Dominoes YouTube channel, I will post the attacks and my replies, which basically were asking for crumbs. And that's humiliating because... Why would I want to ask for crumbs from someone that hates me so much or wants to show hatred so much? Anyway, I guess I got off topic. There are a lot of you guys out there that are experiencing what I've experienced. I know because you've written me, especially with episode 25. And I want you to know you're not alone. We have each other. 
My husband said, she's almost 80. She's not going to change her ways. My psychiatrist and therapist said, oh, sounds like an entitled narcissist that you're dealing with. And that hurt me. That hurt me to hear those words, but I knew they were true. Anyway, I hope if any of you are dealing with this, this makes you feel not quite so alone. Reach out. You can find my email information in the show notes or in the description box on YouTube and reach out. Let me know if you want to be a guest on on the podcast. Let me know about that too. I am looking into scheduling guests and I would love to have you on here, but we need to vet all of that. And yeah. So that being said, let's jump in to episode 26. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 26 of Digging Through Dominoes. This is the podcast where we search through those dominoes of our past and try to play the right ones for a new game. I'm your host, Terry Anderson, and I want to thank you for being here. My last episode was on the flashbacks I had when I was at the motorcycle rally, those really, really hit me hard. And I want to thank each and every one of you that reached out to me in that time with your own stories. You're not alone. And it makes me know I'm not alone. Before I left, we were talking about this book by Jasmine Lee Corey called the emotionally absent mother. And I tell you, this book was hard. It was really, really hard. Not that it contains, not like to read, it's not hard, but the way this woman formulates her questions really makes you stop and think. You know, I've been in therapy since 2008. And this book kicked my butt. I've been walking, I've been trying to get in 10 to 20,000 steps a day. That's right. So what I've been doing is I put my headphones on, I walk down to the drugstore, I walk down to whatever, and then back uphill to my house. That gives me a little more than 10,000 miles and, you know, 10,000 miles, I wish, 10,000 steps. And I'm going to skip ahead in this book a little bit because something happened to me last week that really ties into this. And when I got to this chapter, it's chapter seven on childhood abuse, neglect, childhood emotional neglect and abuse. And I'm listening to this and I'm reliving or I'm thinking about a situation that happened last week. And oh my gosh, if so many light bulbs did not go off. I'm going to briefly tell you about the situation, and then I will read some of these as they apply to this chapter. I heard from someone that I hadn't heard from in about 10 years, and I leave my Facebook page open to friends of friends, specifically for this person and my other aunt and whomever else may want to see, hey, I may have been at the very 
bottom of my barrel. My parents had died. My grandson had died. I was hit on my motorcycle. My son was hit hit by a hit and one run driver. I was misdiagnosed and put on antipsychotics that made me freaking crazy when I wasn't crazy. I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And it appears, I have to say in my opinion, and that of my therapist, because I read all these messages to him, my psychiatrist, Jeff, and my kids. So it was pretty interesting. But this is for my aunt, Sandy. And she turned 79, August 25th. I believe that's the right date. 1943, August 25th, 1943. I think that's right. So I was really excited when I got this message from Sandy because I had reached out to her repeatedly over the years and tried to like friend request her. She deleted them every time. So that's sort of setting the scene. And I want to go through this a little bit here because this really awakened me, not only in what she said and how she said it, but how I responded. It, it, what it did, it let me realize. Now, she had told me this before. I pretty much idolized my grandmother because my grandmother raised me not really raised me, but she's the one that gave me the love, the affection, the safety, along with Sandy and my Aunt Susan. This is such a convoluted mess. And I think this is why so many people are so screwed up. And I wish I had known this earlier. Then my kids wouldn't have to have gone through this mess. My grandmother divorced my grandfather, who was an alcoholic and run around and all that kind of stuff. And my mother was left at a young age, I'm not sure what age, to raise Sandy. And at times I think, you know, this is weird. I don't really know. My mother died in 2006, so I can't really ask her. And I really don't, after I read this, you'll understand why, trust what Sandy or Susan are going to tell me. And there's really no one else to ask. But Susan supposedly was raised by my great-grandparents most of the time. I, I don't know. But talk about the perfect storm for dysfunction in a family. An alcoholic father that takes off. A mother in the 40s and 50s that had to go to work and work her butt off in order to take care of her kids and three messed up girls that led that on to nine messed up kids. Chapter seven of Jasmine Corey's book, The Emotionally Absent Mother, it applies. I, you know, I'm, I'm walking down to Rite Aid to, to pick up my medication, and I'm listening to this. I'm going to refer to it, if you don't mind. And we're going to jump into the very first part of chapter seven, which is childhood emotional neglect and abuse. Now that, as my therapist was telling me, and as I sort of already figured out, when that happens to you, you get stunted at that emotional age. Now, Sandy and Susan and my grandmother the one were the ones that gave me the love, the affection, the attention, and I was always safe with them as well as my dad, but my dad was gone all the time and an alcoholic. 
So when I'm listening to this chapter seven, they start talking about things that I am watch playing out in this Facebook thread. It's talking about, I wish I had a, I wish I had a light. She's talking about emotional neglect and emotional abuse. Emotional neglect is not malicious and it's not intentional most of the time. There were times in my childhood it was intentional, but I don't really think my mother knew what she was doing to us. But emotional abuse is very different because it's done with malicious intent. And Sansini and Susan, you know, my grandmother died when I was 16, almost 16. With Sandy and Susan, they were the ones I look to. They're the ones I wanted my family to be like. Oh God. And I always felt safe with them. Sandy was a little more, you know, she was a little bit more busy with her kids. And Susan and I were much closer in age. So this is talking about abuse is not accidental and it's not an oversight. It is doing something or even not doing something, which also is covered in these screenshots, with knowledge that it will cause emotional pain. So let me start with that one. My aunt just sent me a scanned copy, not the original, mind you, but this a scanned copy of my mother's first marriage annulment. I don't think I could be wrong if I am. I apologize. I don't think she knew I knew my mother had been married before. And I, I, I knew what it was, you know, and she described my mother absolutely beautifully. But I want to get to part of this. I'm like, hi, Sandy. Um, did you send me a message? Because I was a sleep. So this is what she wrote after I responded with my phone number and asking her to call me. Now remember in the book here, it's telling us Jasmine Corey is talking about abuse is something that is also withheld. I'm asking her to call me and she ignores that. So she writes me this. I'm going to read most of it. I meant to say I found this in a drawer and thought you might be interested. So there's some love bombing happening in this moment here. And you'll see why I say that in just a second. I had always thought they were divorced. But this document says annulled. Sherry never talked to me about it. No, my mother really never talked to anybody about anything. Johnny called mother and asked her to come get Sherry, my mother. My mother, I think, was 16 years old. I went with her. Johnny wasn't there. When we arrived, I think they lived in Stanton or Midland and were only married a short time. I think it was about three months, if I remember correctly, from my dad and paperwork that I had seen somewhere. We all loved you very much. You are our first baby and mother, my grandmother, Dina. Love to spoil you. 
I told mother, of course, it would be Sandy telling her, that Sherry was jealous of all the attention you were getting, but mother just brushed it off. Mother always showed Sherry lots of attention when she was home, but it was never enough. So now she's going after my mother. Sherry was awkwardly tall and thin and had a troubled complexion. Mother worried so much about her and took her to every doctor she could afford. However, she had beautiful hair and lovely lips, eyes, and hands. That's funny she says that about my hand or her, my mother's hands. My grandson Jacob would tell me that I have my mother's hands. So that's that's nice to hear. She had lots of friends and after outgrowing her bad acne had no trouble getting dates. Sherry always resented me and I wasn't very nice to her or Susan and that was really nice for her to admit although it is not a secret in the family, um, the way Sandy acted when she was growing up. When we were growing up, I'm trying to find this, I could never overcome her feelings toward me, although I tried up until her death. I loved her, both her and Andy. Andy is my dad, and I have to give my aunt credit. After my mother died, I live in Oregon. They lived in Texas. My aunt really, really stepped up and was there for my father. And I think it's the first time really after, you know, talks with my my dad that my dad appreciated Sandy and really saw goodness and love in her. She did a fantastic job with my dad. I really have to thank her for that. I left both her and Andy and thought Andy was the smartest man I ever met. Yes, he pretty much was. He could do everything. I really don't know what caused their bad feelings toward me after we grew up. And I could never break through her coolness. So she's, you know, kind of attacking my mother again. A little bit of sugar in with the poison. This is sort of, in a way, the way a narcissist works. In my opinion, I'm not labeling my aunt that, but this is a sort of, this is a very gaslighting message to me, in my opinion. And I am no doctor, but my doctors are. I didn't really know what caused their bad feelings toward me after we grew up, and I could never break through her coolness. She was never one to discuss anything with me. Anyway, when you were born, she resented the attention you got from all of us especially from mom, my grandmother, Dina. I always loved you very much. And that is why I was so confused when you attacked me and Susan. Actually, it would be Susan and me. When we had never been anything but loving toward you, you publicly attacked us with lies, which we were powerless to defend ourselves against. You blocked our calls and tried to ruin Susan's career. You justified this by saying we were toxic and evil. You alienated your children and brothers against us. And you justified this by saying there were mistakes on both sides. There was and remains, this was and remains a complete mystery. I have moved on 
from all of this and hope you are in a good place. And then I responded because I saw she was typing. She says, life now in a separate paragraph. And like I said, I will put these in the video version of this episode. Life now. I'm not looking for closure or a relationship. Maybe we can be friends in heaven. When I read that to my therapist, my psychologist, my husband, and my psychiatrist, they're like, what the heck is she talking about? This is one of the most, you know, I don't even know what to say. That first paragraph and second paragraph she wrote, there was gas bombing, there was attacking, there was victimizing herself, there was blame, there was shame, there was guilt, there was all these things she tried to do, and then she cuts relationship off again. You cannot tell me in any way that was unplanned and that she did not mean to harm me. This was done for her. All right, let's go on with the book here. Emotional abuse, Jasmine says, takes the form of ridiculing, scolding, blaming, and humiliating. She says, Dr. Corey says, it often takes the form of cruel and critical words. Emotional abuse can be nonverbal as well. Refusing to talk with your family member, which is an action known or not known, is emotional abuse and completely undermines any foundation for a healthy life. So, you know, that really made me think when I'm reading this, it's like it came at the perfect time. And my gosh, my aunt hit every single one of those points. And in no way is this a retaliatory um, video. This is an, oh my gosh, people, I'm understanding. I remember seeing you one time telling me that my grandmother was not a good mother and that she was happy that she was a good grandmother. My grandmother had to work a lot. I can't say if my grandmother was a good mother or not. Evidently, she's not because she had three girls that were all like messed up. And all what's interesting is they all went for the same type of guy. And I don't want to kind of emotionally unavailable in a lot of ways, in my opinion, from what I saw. These are my observations as a child. This woman that I idolized, my grandmother, you know, I'm having to come to terms with the fact that, yeah, she did the best she could. But in that day and age, divorce and going to work as a woman was very frowned upon. And in a way, I'm glad she did, because I think the girls would have been much more damaged had, had they stayed with their father. Like I said, he was an alcoholic. He was run around. He was not a very nice person. And there are a lot of stories. I did meet him when I was 13. And he died two years late, three years later. So let's, let's skip forward just to give this book some, some justice in this episode, some justice, and then I'll go through some of these other things. 
the effects of emotional neglect and abuse from your family. They leave holes in your sense of value and self-esteem. And these are coming, like I said, from Jasmine's book, who I, I mean, I totally, totally recommend this book. It's great, but be warned, it's hard. Feeling as if you don't have enough support. You know, you guys know that about me. I'm pretty honest with all that. Difficulty accepting and advocating for your needs, feeling undernourished and emotionally starved, difficulty taking in love and maintaining intimate relationships. Yes, I have a very toxic marriage. My husband would agree with that. We were divorced. We were married in 1988. I left in 2013. We were divorced and we got married again, got back together again in 2017 and things are, we're friends, but the most we talk about is what are we going to watch for on TV or what's for dinner? That's really kind of it. So part of this message is going to come into that in a second. Uh, loneliness and feelings of not belonging. I don't belong anywhere. And I think I, I mentioned the story when I was at my Aunt Sandy's house with Susan, my cousin Laurie. And I walked out of the conversation and went into the living room and sat by myself. My Aunt Susan came after me and she she's like, Terry, why aren't you in there with us? And I just felt I didn't belong. And she mentioned that to me when I talked to her. I don't know how long ago it was that I spoke with her. And it really... It sort of healed a wound that I had because I thought that they really, you know, didn't care about me in any way, shape or form. And I'll get to what she says about attacking and all that in a little bit. So then you have perfectionism and self-criticism. That's not me. A lot of self-criticism, but perfectionism, no. Difficulty finding your authentic voice and following your passions, very much so. And then additional effects of emotional abuse high levels of anxiety, deeply in danger, and I can't even read, deeply ingrained avoidance. I wonder why with what I grew up with. Alienation from the body. Yes, I think I have spoken in previous episodes about my disassociation that was um, actually started in childhood and has gone through adulthood. I can say now, though, after years of therapy, that it is not there. I don't disassociate anymore. I think it's more, you know, normal daydreaming or thinking about, oh, my gosh, wouldn't this be fun? This would be cool. Can I even do this? Degradation of health. Now, this is important because I have had, it seems like I have a string of health problems, but yet, there's really no underlying cause. Yes, I've got kidney disease. Yes, I have lung disease. I have an autoimmune condition. But they're not death-threatening. At first, with every single one of them, they were. I was told I had leukemia. I was told just everything. And, and then doctors weren't following up. Turns out a lot of this was caused by being misdiagnosed and put on the wrong medication. But even before that, I was disengaging. 
I was in my room, and I did not give my kids what they needed. Difficulty trusting? I don't, I don't trust anyone. I think I trust my son. That's probably about it. <laughs> Used and unhappy in relationships? Yes, I'm very unhappy in my relationship, as is Jeff. I have a difficult time making friends, and I think it's because I don't, I see them as better than I am, and I have, I have a difficulty, difficult time with that. And then with friends that I've had forever that saw what I went through, that were with me every step of the way and watched me break, they were nowhere near when I climbed back up. Internal ceilings, we don't think that we can go as high as everybody else. That's so true with me because there's so many times I'll get right to the edge of something and I get afraid that I can't do it. Internal perpetrators, a collapsed self. When you are neglected or when you are rejected as a child, you tend to in internalize the rejection, consequently living at odds with yourself, not feeling worthy and perhaps not trying very hard. That was me. You might not know that you have a right to be treated with respect, a right to be well cared for and to take good care of yourself, and a right to thrive. The next one on the list is self-harming, and that's something that I have done. Hence, sleeve tattoos. Frequent or ongoing disassociation. It often comes on suddenly, which that happened to me several times. Um, amnesia, not sure what is real. Why am I so sensitive? So before we go on with what's wrong with your caregiver or a family member, I want to address some things that Sandy said. Not really for any reason other than I need to make myself clear because I don't think she's remembering correctly, and that's kind of the way I'd like to think. In 2008, my parents had died. I had gone through tragedy after tragedy, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and I was not posting correctly on my Facebook pages. I have pages for my different video channels. I had a blog, and the writing I did was very dark, it was very cathartic. And Sandy would put comments on there about this is despicable or this is disgusting. You need to get rid of this. And then they both put comments on my public, not only my public Facebook pages, but also my LinkedIn account, which was my employee account, not employee, but my employer account, I guess, for our business as general contractors. I think Susan's the one that left the con the comment on that. And you know, I don't have that. I have a different account now, so I can't go back and check that. And it was 10 years ago, so it's probably gone anyway. But they both made very ugly comments. Uh, Sandy was saying, we were just so worried about you. We saw you derailing. So Sandra says that she saw me derailing, self-destructing, and making myself look bad, God forbid, in front of the public. There was a reason for that. I was. Generally, if you have a healthy family, you reach out to them 
and you say what's going on instead of leaving crappy comments on your social media. It was obvious I was not the same person I was. And somewhere in here, she says, and I still love that little girl you were. Well, I'm not that little girl anymore, but part of me is really stuck in that that place. So that, yeah, I did. And for that, I do apologize. You know, she said right here, <laughs> I thought I thought this was funny. She said, you can heal some of the damage you've done by publicly stating the lies you assaulted us with were in fact lies. They weren't lies. I don't even remember what they were, so I couldn't tell you. You can say sorry all you want, but until it's public, nothing has changed. And yes, I'm very sorry that I reacted instead of processing. But at that point, I was incapable of reacting. I was on antipsychotics when I didn't need antipsychotics, which pretty much made me psychotic. And another thing she mentions in here is maybe you were just too mentally ill. Another little jab there. To remember anything. Well, I wasn't mentally ill. I have a disorder. It's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. It's something I think they should check out for themselves. But as my husband said, when I was reading these messages, my therapist said the same thing, that she's 80 years old. It's very unlikely she's going to change her ways. I wanted to address that with why she said I had attacked them. They had, you know, instead of reaching out for me, maybe what I did was wrong. I really, I don't remember. I was self-destructing. They didn't reach out to help me. They let me self-destruct without even Hey, Terry, what's going on? We see you've got some, some things are going up. Have some, a lot of friends that did that and really surrounded me and sort of uplifted me during that time, but they did not. So when we go to what's wrong with your mother or your family member, and this is from Jasmine Lee Corey. So I always worry I'm getting her name wrong. Perhaps your caregiver can't provide you with what you need because they were not given it themselves. That really hit me and really made me hurt for Sandy and Susan and my mother and all of the cousins. I know some of my cousins have been in therapy and I'm really happy about that for them. We had great times as cousins growing up and I love him all so much. They grew up with that type of mothering, which is very, which is, which was little different than what they're giving you. This is an integral legacy that those of you reading this book are involved in changing, and that's what I'm trying to do. She goes on in the next paragraph to say how a lot of people in, in my situation with my aunts, which were wonderful when I was growing up, they were like my idols. They helped take care of me when my mother did not. Then Dr. Corey, is she a doctor? She's a, I guess she is a doctor. Talks about being emotionally closed off these caregivers that we have had as children. Collectively, we are saturated with untreated trauma. And I feel that the generation before me was as well. And you know, my grandmother, I don't really know. I wish I did know more about that. You know, I know my mother was probably pretty well depressed, and I know she did have a lot of 
areas of resentment for me. And this is something else that I found very interesting. And I saw it in Sandy's letters to me. And I'm talking about this more in a therapeutic sense here that really made me hurt for her and hurt for my other aunt. And that is the description of more, some of the more dysfunctional caregivers reveal stunted emotional social development. These caregivers were often treated as, this in particular, were often treated as little princesses in their families and as a result, never learned to take responsibility. More likely, they were raised by emotionally immature parents or parents not around and just never grew up. Immature caregivers, I'm still reading from Dr. Corey's book, are often described as superficial. And these are words that I could attribute to my aunt. Superficial, superficial, vain, petty, easily offended, manipulative, and prone to playing victim. The emotional immaturity may become even more accentuated when they age. So I thought that was really, really interesting with this whole way, the way it's playing out. Caregivers who can't handle their own feelings or anyone else's, who act out their emotion with little consciousness or awareness. Yes, I used to do that. I don't anymore, but I very much used to do that. And I'm going to read you my response to Sandy's message because I want to see, I want you to see how I'm still with them in that little girl mode, wanting their attention. I was. They blame others, never take responsibility, and don't respond empathetically, but expect others to attend to their needs and their feelings. And they're often preoccupied with themselves. They're closed-minded and don't respect differences. And this is something that was really funny. I remember the last time I saw my aunt years ago, she was speaking about, she had this big problem with when people, when you say thank you to someone and they say no problem. She went off on this rant about, it's not no, no problem, it's you're welcome. That is the proper response. You're welcome. Okay, I wanted to highlight the way I answered her. Sandy, I was mostly asleep when I read this. I realized, I realized what it was about. Actually, let me go on to Facebook and read it. It'll be easier for me. Oh, and I, the other day she went, I sent her two more messages and I saw that she deleted every message she had sent me. Here they are. And then back is the annulment paper. And I had said, why did you remove that? And she said she didn't. So maybe it was just a glitch with Facebook. So Sandy, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know because everything else was being deleted. I thought this, I realized what it was, but it took me some time to read. Dad, as was his way, always said, I think your mom has been married before. So I'm talking about my mother's divorce, letting her know that I did in fact know that my mother had been married before. Please know how much I love and miss you and know that you, Susan, Dina, Grandpa, and the brothers gave me so much, so much, and you had no idea. 
Thank you for giving me a sense that people did like me and I wasn't to be thrown out. Because of all you, because of you all, I survived. Not always in the best of ways, but just thank you. Thank you for loving and caring for me, little Terry. And then I said, I'm sorry, Laurie and I ate the edges of your lemon cake. If it helps any, it was just too good. And that's when she sent the message of, I don't want a relationship or closure. Maybe we can be friends in heaven. And oh my gosh, my husband just, you should have seen his face. My, he is a Christian. My doctor is a Christian. And they both were like speechless when they heard that. And one of them actually said, I'm not really sure that's where she's going to be going if she's writing this stuff about you. So I was very conciliatory. I was really trying to, to reach out and I gave her the wrong phone number at first. And then I gave her my correct phone number. And then she sent two more messages while I wrote this. I cried all the way reading that. And I cried about her describing my mother. There's so much you don't know about what happened to me, about my marriage and everything that has gone on. I turned into someone I didn't know and I ran and I ran. I can't explain my attitude at the time. I think maybe I pushed you away before you could drop me too. Everyone else had died in my family. You were the only ones I had left. And so I pretty much, this is kind of making me sick right now because I'm going on begging for crumbs. I'm begging for crumbs here. And that's what a lot of survivors do. We beg for crumbs. Then at one point in these messages, uh, she brings in what many people know when you're dealing with narcissists, flying monkeys. She said, your aunt Susan and your cousin Laurie told me not to contact you, but I did it anyway. So now we've got some triangulation stuff happening here. All right. Or I guess it's more like a flying monkey situation because now she's showing me she has an alliance with my aunt, whom has never called me again, since she sort of led me on to and then just dumped me. And then my cousin was believing horrific, hor- if what I'm hearing is true, because I was not present, horrific lies. And this is a cousin I adore. So she's, she's talking about this and you know, I let her know. I said, you know, that's not cool. That's not cool for my cousin to be doing that. And she's saying she's a Christian. And then it's not cool for my other aunt. So I'm not kind of falling into her. Oh, you're scaring me because the family's coming after me. I'm like calling her out on that in that part. And I said, oh, I also need to let you know, my dad always mentioned how much it meant to him that you were there when I couldn't be. Then she says, this is my last message. And I had talked to her. She said, what, what do you have against me? And I told her, I said, she didn't let me have dresses of my grandmother. My cousin was present when my mother had this argument with her to get me some of the dresses that my grandmother had. And I have three of those. I have her mink coat. Um, I really only had like three things I could say about things that I was upset with Sandy. She called me to Texas one time. And we went to dinner and she and her husband were across the table and they pretty much grilled me on my brother's behavior. Well, how do I know what my brothers are doing? I don't know what my brothers are doing. If you want to know 
what my brothers are doing. Why don't you talk to my brothers and not put me in this really awkward situation? And then the, the next time that she doesn't forget, or she forgets, is I was coming home in my mother's Jaguar that I purchased from my father. My two kids that were 15 and 16 at the time were in the car, and my aunt calls her in Las Vegas, and for two hours proceeds to shred me. And my kids didn't know what to do. Actually, when they're reading through this, they said, you didn't, you didn't turn us against Sandy. Sandy turned us against herself when they, she attacked you in the car. So I'm glad that they remembered that the way I remembered it, because I don't want any misconceptions here. And I tell her I made a self-fulfilling prophecy by pushing her and Sandy or her and Susan away. That was one of my deepest fears. You know, my grandson had died. Like I said, my parents had died. All of these things had happened. You know, I even asked her, you know, some of my cousins, my cousins that did this or this happened and this happened, you let them in the family. What about, why am I not extended that same grace? Well, they didn't publicly attack us. Okay, so we're going to go on, you know, that road again. I don't want to go through all these, but I will post quite a few of them. Um, one of the things I guess that did come up too is the fact that when you're grieving and I was grieving, my mother was killed. And so I was in shock. My father was in shock and they were pushing me and I didn't understand it at the time what was happening, but they were pushing me to go through my mother's things. I didn't want to go through my mother's things. My dad didn't want to go through my mother's things. We weren't ready. But then my dad and I talked about it and we called my aunt Sandy over and we went through my mother's things and I told her, we'll take care of the rest of it when I get back, when I come back, because I'll be back in a couple of weeks. When I got back in a couple of weeks, my mother's things were gone. There was no sight of my mother anywhere. And what Sandy's telling me in this, which is not what I heard, is that my sister-in-law called her, which it was I'm not going to go there. Don't do it, Terry. She said my sister-in-law had called and said my dad didn't want anything there. So she went over. But my sister-in-law said that Sandy called her and wanted to go through everything. So see, it's this really toxic thing. And I told her, I said, Sandy, this just seems to be tit for tat. I'm talking about I love you. I'm sorry for anything I did when I was broken and hurting. I wish you would stepped out. I wish you had been there. I miss you. I love you. I want to be with you. But she doesn't acknowledge anything I'm talking about. She's speaking solely of herself. And that is so clear. I think that's when my doctor said, she sounds like a very entitled narcissist. Well, maybe, but that doesn't change the fact that I love her. And I you know, I, I just really wanted to, gosh, just going, reading, walking and listening to this book and reading this book, it described everything an emotionally abusive caregiver can do. And I was really struck when um, Jasmine Corey talked about emotional neglect is unintentional, emotional abuse abuse. And then it named off everything that had happened is intentional and it's done with malice. And then when I saw that she unsent 
every single message that she sent me. I knew that she had, and it really, it breaks my heart, but I knew that it was malicious and it was done with the intent to hurt me. And that's really sad. You know, I can say that now and not cry about it, but it hurts. It hurts. And I know a lot of you are in the same situation with family members. And this is in nowhere, no way airing public laundry, as I say, or dirty laundry public. But I know some of you are in the same situation because I'm getting the messages from you people. And I'm sharing my entire life as openly as I can. So yeah, as I look back through these messages, one of them I sent was, I'm so sorry to say this, but I see this as tit for tat. I didn't mention to you the things that you did to me. I let them go. I'm a new person that's healing from a horrific past. I may quite possibly be wrong and would love to be proven long, but I don't recall you apologizing. And then I went into some of the things that include, you know, going through my mother's things, yelling at me when I was in the Jaguar, making me cry, my kids cry, all of this stuff. And, you know, part of this I want to leave with, she said, she brought my, she brought Jeff back into this and she said, if I were Jeff, I wouldn't have taken you back. But then when I look at everything I've written, it embarrasses me. And it embarrasses me because I know Sandy. I love Sandy. I know Sandy's problems. I mean, she's the one that's very proud of the fact that they're banned from a motel from life because the people were too loud. And she went out, talked to them. They didn't agree, so she yanked the wreath off of the front of the truck and threw it across the parking lot. And she's proud of that. And she had to have been in her late 60s, early 70s, probably late 60s when that happened. You know, one thing I can say is recovery is real. And recovery lets you see things in different ways. And when I looked back at all of this, especially after she deleted everything, and I'm reading through everything that was left that I had written, I'm asking for crumbs. I'm trying to get her to love me and I don't need her love. I want it, but I don't, I don't need it. And it opened my eyes, like I said, and this last part of this book that I want to go into for this, it's the last part of this uh, chapter here. And it's talking about uh, common characteristics of narcissistic caregivers. It's always about them. They crave admiration and attention. They're never wrong in their eyes. They're superior and superlative in every way. They are emotionally shallow and without empathy. And that, I think, pretty well comes across in these messages. Not once did she ask how I was doing, which was really funny because one of the messages that she deleted was, well, I've looked through all your Facebook posts and you never asked how I was doing. Okay, people. I haven't spoken to her in, let's say, 10 years. What am I going to do? Just put on my Facebook Hey, if anybody knows my aunt Sandy, can you tell me how she's doing? I asked my aunt, my other aunt about her. I love these people. I, oh gosh, I love these people. But I also realize this is a very toxic situation. Am I willing to go forward with this? Yeah, you know, I really am. I am very sorry. I'm very sorry that I was sick. It was horrible. But I'm proud of myself for being able to see the entire, or part of the, another part of the picture now, how I'm groveling the way she is, the way my other aunt is, and the way my mother was. You know, I think I'm, part of me, I'm just sitting here thankful that I'm seeing a fuller 
a more full picture and realizing how my grandmother played into it when she had to work all the time. I'm sure my aunt was very resentful of being left home, and she was quite the princess when she was growing up and very demanding. She wouldn't wear certain clothes. My grandmother was an excellent seamstress, so my grandmother went and bought labels from stores and sewed them into her dresses so she could wear those or would wear them. My mother was very emotionally unavailable. My mother did not have a good relationship with her sisters. I don't really know why. I know bits and I know pieces. And my other aunt, I think, is probably the healthiest of the three. And that makes me happy. You know, I I watched them as I was growing up with their kids. And that's what I wanted my family to be like. They were all loving each other. You know, we had Christmas pictures made at my house one time when I don't know how old I was, probably in my 20s. And there were a picture of her family, my other aunt's family, and my family. And my two aunts' families are like holding each other and hugging each other and just very loving photos. And when you look at the picture of my family, we're like this, we're like this, with our arms crossed and we're about six inches apart, each of us. So I thought that was real telling when I first saw that all those years ago. You know, I still was idolizing my aunts and their families and really wanted to do what they did. But now I see I went overboard. I see they went overboard with their kids. And I can't say that was in a wrong way. We were all trying to change the way we grew up. So how about you guys? Do you have, have you, have you gone through this? Have you made the realization? Have you been able to connect the dots? You know, the last three years for me have been connecting the dots and aha moments, light bulbs are going off in my head because for the first time, so much of my childhood, my mother's childhood, my aunt's childhoods, and my mother, my grandmother having to work, I'm seeing this vicious generational cycle. And I wish I had been able to break it with my kids. And I wasn't. I didn't know about it. And then I raised so many kids that there wasn't enough of me to go around. I'm not blame shifting on that. I'm not trying to get out of anything because, you know, I should have said no to the adoption of the last three kids, but I didn't. I knew I couldn't do it emotionally. And at that time, I really, I can see it now, but I couldn't see it then how that affected my older kids. And that is heartbreaking. So I guess that's probably where we're going to stop right now. I don't want to go any further into this. I just, I wanted to give you a real life situation with the proof of here it is. Sandy, if you're listening, I love you. I'm sorry for whatever you think I did. I'm sure that you are correct in me leaving mean comments because I do remember being fighting back. I wish you had reached out to me and I wish you were in my life now. I loved you then. I love you now. I'll love you always. The same goes for Susan and the same goes for Laurie. I'm sorry that they were brought into this in your comments. And the only thing I can think of, it's, it's really funny because every, every comment she removed except for, you can say sorry all you want, but it's until it's public, nothing has changed. So this is a public apology, Sandy. 
um, for whatever you perceive I did wrong and it's sincere. I think all the messes that I've made, I need to clean up and I have been cleaning them up bit by bit by bit. And I think we're going to just leave it. Like I said, let's leave it here. We'll get on with this book next time. It is getting much easier for me to read those initial questions. I mean, there are questions in here that I'm still kind of afraid to open the book because it's like opening another wound. But I'm happy that this happened with my aunt when I was in this part of the book because it made everything much more relatable and it explained so much. Guys, take care of yourselves. Heal your families. If there's someone out there you need to apologize to, apologize to them. If someone apologizes to you, accept it. Life is too short to go on holding on to grudges and bitterness. Move past it. Don't let that generational curse and bitterness continue to control your life. You're in charge. You can end it. With that, guys, I'm going to say goodbye, and I hope to see you next week.